Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Today, I'm joined by freelance writer and host of the Total Massacre podcast series. Its name changes sometimes, Rowan Kaiser. <laughs> Hello. Uh, Rowan, a couple weeks ago, you mentioned, uh, you, you messaged me, urging me to revisit Grand Tactician Civil War, an indie war game from Oliver Keppelmuller. Uh, that came out last year and which has been patched pretty extensively since and patches are ongoing but you said uh, this game for for us or people like us might be the dream can you describe what the dream is and how grand tactician seems like it might realize it if not now then maybe someday occasionally now uh hopefully more consistently someday um Grand Tactician is like an everything Civil War game. So we're not simulating individual battles. We're not just doing the strategic thing. It wants you to, you know, build your ships. It wants you to go down and do a tactical battle. It wants you to decide on what your political policies are. Um, The first time I played it, I thought, wow, this is like Paradox trying to do a Civil War game, which is... Uh, the more I get into it, it's a little, it's a little more dubious than that. But like the idea that you have something that's completely real time, everything is going, uh, and you're covering military, economics, politics, uh, even some social stuff, uh, in terms of like the generals you recruit and such. Uh, yeah, that's, that's part one of the dream. Like lots of games want to try to do everything for the civil war, um, very few actually try to do like full strategic level and full tactical level. Uh, but the dream itself is actually that the tactical level in particular seems to be allowing for you to, or seems to be allowing for everyone to fuck up. Uh, mm-hmm. The civil war is a war defined by people just completely screwing the pooch constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes like until, um, Honestly, until it's basically turned into siege warfare for yeah. both sides to have like actually gotten competent people in most positions. And even then you still have John Bell Hood running around thinking he's Napoleon. Uh, so it's very difficult for a, a game to like put something, put, put a sort of core uh, gameplay aspect of it that has either the player deliberately making mistakes or an AI that the player is working with that the player will be willing to allow it to make mistakes. Uh, And this game, with its incredibly green troops, with its incredibly weak commanders, especially in the early war, uh, these guys just aren't very good at their jobs. You're trying to do a war game where you're constantly wrestling with the fact that your commanders are kind of idiots and your troops really, really don't want to fight if they're not used to fighting. Uh, And... You know, I've been I've been bouncing around some other Civil War games before then. I played Strategic Command. I finally decided to play the old Civil War Generals. Um, and these are these are good games, but they don't have this element of complete chaos that the war at its best had. And then I started trying, all right, this game seems like it might have been patched to the point where it's worth a worth a go. Uh, I think Ian said that this was the case on the uh Strategic Command show that we did. And I tried it and like that first bull run battle at the end of the tutorial or the strategic tutorial was like, holy shit, this is, you know, white knuckle moving my troops through uh, 
the wilds of Virginia trying to pin down where the enemy is and whether I can get to him before his reinforcements get there. Like this was the, the you are Irvin McDowell and no. you're kind of an idiot and all your troops are definitely idiots. Yeah, that was that was the feeling that made me go and say, hey, Rob, this might be it. And so this is. How many hours have I put into this game by this point? Um <laughs> because i want to say i do not feel like i've played a lot i still feel like there's a lot more i need to play i barely touched the confederate side yeah i put in 30 hours in the last week or so two weeks uh Um, but like for me oh dear for me that's a lot (laughs) for me that is a lot uh these days for for what the workload okay rowan just just dispel what's your what's your time play (laughs) Uh, 10 times that Yes. yes that said i have like left it on overnight and right right you know right. leave it on during the day it doesn't seem to take up a bunch of processing power when you're not in it so uh that that may be somewhat inflated but yes. yeah uh but so the thing is i uh like w- this game there are moments rowan where I'm like, this is the dream. They've done it. Like, I, I think one of the first things I posted about it was like, yeah, now I feel like what it must have been like to see the moon landing uh, happening yeah. on TV. <laughs> because there are parts of this that, that are, it is trying to do so many things. And usually trying to do too much in a single design is the kiss of death. It is like yes. the part, parts of the design are at complete odds with each other. They do not support each other or parts of them are so clearly weak and not fun to engage with that they just kind of irritate you and they, you know, the game would be better if they were not there. And the I think that maybe the, the, the biggest achievement actually for me in Grand Tactician, separate from like how well it captures the Civil War dynamics, which we'll, we'll get into more, I'm sure, is that actually for me, it's a pretty even quality bar it hits across its various features throughout. And there's very little of it that I'm like, I hate dealing with this. And so there's like this whole like buffet of civil war shit you have to do. All of it is kind of fun to engage with. Like when I get a good battle, like that I'm prompted to go fight. I'm like, all right, this seems like it's going to be, there's some stakes for this. I'm, I'm into it. Let's go. And then when I'm, when, when that's done and I'm like, I really need to, uh, improve the logistics chain for my armies on the front line. So I'm going to go and like have some armies detailed to building out like military infrastructure. Okay. Now it's time to tune into the economy and like political level decisions to how we're going to put this country on a war footing, all this stuff, like in terms of both how much time it asks of you to put into it and what you are, what you are deciding to do in each of these layers is pretty decent like there's not a part of it with maybe the exception of the nitty-gritty of the economy which is mostly like i don't understand it really yeah so much not so much i don't like it it seems like it's really interesting and really well put together but it's difficult to like go from i don't really know what i'm doing let's just add some things to i know what i'm doing uh well, i think i think this will do good things people can do it it's just there's there's not there's a ladder rug missing at that point i feel well yeah and like i think um you know well i guess man i guess we're here so might as well get into this this layer of it the strategic layer but specifically i'm talking about the economy uh the the decision they make here and i think it's a it's a smart one for for games like this is on the one hand all your big 
commodities of the 19th century that were like huge strategic or commercial resources at this point they're in the game but you are not playing a trading game where you manage these things but you are trying to create an economy and a trade policy that like both like generates the inputs you need for your strategic war effort but also generates enough butter uh that the like war support and like civil morale stays high uh in addition to you have foundries that have the stuff they need to produce weaponry and the the thing i find about it is this game is so good at telling you like oh boy you just you have no coffee there's a huge coffee (laughs) shortage don't talk to america till till she's had her cup uh but also i'm like what do you want me to do about that and that's where Grand Tactician, as the name might imply, does not give a fuck. <laughs> like it's just like it's like you don't you don't know what you got to do. Like sorry, like nobody has coffee, nobody has fruit. You know, yeah. It, Good luck. Coffee is actually the most interesting one because I believe that's one that can only be imported. So it's just basically an automatic system happening, and if you. I think that probably is just like your per, your country's personal wealth determines how much coffee people can buy. Uh, but yeah, I'm not I'm not fully certain on it. Like I, I haven't gotten to the trade part, uh, haven't figured out like can I massage trade so that I get more coffee uh, for my my generals who desperately need to be awake when the Confederates pour well, out of the woods at five in the morning. And part I of it don't is think it be... actually simulates that your co- commanders don't have coffee. If the, when the I wouldn't put it past this game, I would not put it past this game. <laughs> it is like in addition to the green troops bonus. There's like a hidden stat of like, <laughs> have they gotten their coffee? Uh, but you make a good point there, though. Too is so you're right. One of the things this game is interested in is this loop, and this is the story of like the Civil War economy in some ways, uh, particularly particularly in the North, where the massive investment in like war production produces an economic boom that causes a sort of virtuous cycle in growth of a, uh, you know, petty bourgeoisie, uh, a middle class for the time. And that does turn America into a larger trade partner with more international buying power to get things like this, uh, like sent on ships uh, to like this growing market for luxury resources. But your influence over that is very indirect as far as I can tell. For the most part, it is like uh, you can buy certain, you can subsidize certain uh, like raw material and intermediate goods producers uh, at various points in the country through an interface that this part drives me a little nuts where you're sort of going pixel by pixel over course of parts of the country where you're like, I know there's coal around here. I know there has to be coal trying to find where to put your coal mine. Uh, but the idea is once you like subsidize that, that manufacturing, um, it changes the availability of the good on the market that other factories and producers are drawing from. And over time, those decisions accrete into creating a, broader change to the overall economic landscape of the entire country that's how it's working in the north in the south it's like i guess trying to hold together a thousand little cuts uh as the war is going along but like that's that's it's that's where you interact with this like really detailed breakdown of what your economy looks like 
the levers you have to throw are basically you're going to subsidize some places. You're going to try to make sure some needed goods are entering the market uh, in good places and the goods flow from one region to the next appropriately. And from there, that informs how productive uh, the country is going to be. Yeah. Well, there's there's another one, which is very interesting. Uh, you can see it manifest in some of the goods that are the least available, especially for the North. Um, they don't have significant amounts of salt works. Charleston, West Virginia does. Jacksonville, Florida does. Uh, and these are very good early targets for the North. There are no niter mines in the North. They have to import it or whatever else you do to get uh, alternate forms of gunpowder. There are niter mines in Alabama. Um, so the economic aspect of this can encourage you to target specific areas on the map. Uh, the Confederates also have several mines around Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, if Knoxville gets knocked out, they seriously lose a whole bunch of production power. Um, and I think that's actually reasonably historically accurate too, was, uh, that Knoxville falling in late 19, or 1863, uh, 1963 would have been a very different war. Um, Knoxville falling in late 1863 was perhaps an even bigger deal than Chattanooga falling because Chattanooga was strategically important in terms of railroads, but Knoxville was just massively economically important. Well, and this is, and so this is, I think, one of the first ways that this game really starts to sing is that there's a lot of Civil War games that kind of take the notion that so much of this stuff is almost predetermined anyway, but like, eh, why get into it? Why, like, why get into stuff like, the naval side of it or really even that much diplomacy because the odds of anyone ever coming to the confederacy's rescue are so long like we'll just leave it all aside and so like a lot of times in the civil war game a lot of like a lot of major strategic dynamics end up kind of just denuded from the design because there's just not enough to to do there but i think one of the really cool one of the really cool things here is that these material factors give so much shape to what you're doing in this campaign and generate yeah. like and and they really do for me they they do sort of remind me like especially the way the campaign dynamics are, are working here um so i've been rereading i've been i've been reading for the first time the shelby foot trilogy um and one way more fun than i expected way more <laughs> interesting like Shelby Foot, the like cartoon character that appears in the Ken, Ken Burns documentary, very different from Shelby Shelby Foot, the historian who's writing this trilogy. But one of the things that he really like puts the marker down early is that like he he devotes like you know several pages to Bull Run. Sure, he devotes more pages to the early fights in Missouri, for instance, to determine how that's going to go. He de devotes way more space to uh like polk's abortive attempt to seize kentucky and accidentally ending up tipping kentucky firmly into the union camp in the process like but one of the things that he like he is driving at with just how he tells the story is like in the early stages of the war like 1861 1862 the union is racking up strategic victories right and left like bull run yeah okay the confederacy won a, a really important battle that like prevents the war for, war from coming to a very rapid end 
But in terms of like strategic landscape, all the union's early game moves effectively are just starting to put these shackles on the Confederacy and start to like inflict slow bleeding wounds uh, in it. And that's a hard, like, so why is that so important? Um, well, this game is really good at like making it clear why these like sideshow campaigns that often like get just a brief passing mention or don't even come up in a lot of uh, Civil War histories, why they're actually maybe where this war is being decided. Like in a lot of my games, Rowan, I don't know how it is for you. Like the Potomac is a hot zone because like the biggest armies are like proximate to each other. There's always a potential for a large battle to be happening. But man, my early games sure do have a lot of fighting along the Cumberland and like trying to like wrest control of that B&O radio uh, railroad line that runs through Pennsylvania and West Virginia. Um, like there is a lot of stuff happening here that isn't really about army of the Potomac army, of Northern Virginia, like that, that those battles are important, but in terms of, you know, making sure the spice, whatever the spice might be, it must, it must flow. Uh, it's happening elsewhere in this game and you can see the reasoning for it and you can sort of guide it. Yeah. Uh, the, the alternate problem is once you play a little bit more, you start to see the reasoning for it and realize that it's uh, kind of an obsessive AI and kind of, uh, not kind of, very easily exploitable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the there are several like quality of life things this game could do. There are several uh, like little tweaks to the design that I think might help it a lot. But like the number one thing that they are and should be working on is getting the AI right, and especially the strategic AI. Um, there was a big patch recently and a big discussion in the forums, which I actually went and joined Steam forums, which is uh, literally the first time ever, I think, um, like beyond simply posting a single question. Uh, but like the designers were trying to make the same AI for the Confederates as the uh, Federals. and this led to a whole bunch of situations where the Confederates keep, kept launching naval invasions across the Chesapeake. They kept Uh-oh. attacking Ohio. They kept attacking Pennsylvania. They really, really loved the like Cleveland to Pittsburgh zone. Uh, they would not yeah. leave West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia was like, all right, we are dropping all of our first recruitment surge into the armies in uh West Virginia, and they will they will literally never get kicked out unless you know the union starts starts the draft in eighteen sixty one or something. So they they're like pushing really hard, and the thing they're specifically pushing at after after the invasions, which uh, some patches and there were some ways that you could deal with it, basically by not giving them good places to invade and putting your uh, putting your navy on patrol in the Chesapeake uh-huh. uh, would prevent uh, significant invasions from coming through. Uh, but that's weird. This is the like, blockade stuff and then accomplishing it. Yeah, blockades are stopping the economy. Patrol so, stops. Okay, that would explain because I got real pissed when um, uh, like I lost uh Fort Monroe. Yeah. Um, and so I built uh a a fort at the mouth of the Chesapeake, like on that long, the long peninsula, like, like sort of stab south. Yeah. Um, 
The one that and has was, parts of Virginia in it. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm just going to close the mouth of the entire bay. And, uh, you know, then what are you going to do about it? Well, they did a cross, a cross bay invasion. And I was like, yeah, I have three fleets, like just parked in there. Like, how did they, how did, how did 20,000 Confederates get here to attack this fort? Uh, they swam. Um, yeah. Uh, no, the, the thing that's happening here is that the AI uh, will obsessively counterattack any invasion, which sometimes is really good. Sometimes you get like Shiloh type situations where they gather all their forces and very nearly kick the invaders out. Um, the negative side is that they will just suddenly devote all their troops to West Virginia before the Union can take it. Uh, and then you're just like fighting this massive campaign in West Virginia across the entirety of 1861. That's not a terrible thing. Uh, it starts getting terrible when you like take a little tiny step across the Potomac and try to take Alexandria or Manassas as the union. And then the Confederates just come in waves with armies that can't actually beat your army. Um, yeah. And there's like, there's this readiness uh, mechanic where each army has to like wait a certain amount of time before uh, it can it can move take take part in offensive operations, um, and the AI just doesn't seem bound by that at all, and they want to obsessively kick you off the land. So like you have an army, you have your Army of the Potomac or Army of Northeastern Virginia in 1861 cross over into Manassas, take it and try to hold it, and the Confederates will just send like. 20,000 men here, 15,000 men there. Like they're getting better at it yeah. uh, in terms of um, like actually getting battles that they think they can win. But it means that like in early campaigns, if you try to take a step beyond Harper's Ferry, then you'll fight like 16 battles of Winchester right in the, right in the mouth of the Shenandoah. If you try to take a step into Northern Virginia, you'll fight 16 battles of Bull Run. Uh, the big one that I have been noticing in my game is after uh, Nathaniel Lyon and the Missouri Federals uh, head down, take over most of Missouri and then decide to head into Arkansas. Carrollton, Arkansas is the next major city there. Uh, major might be a strong word, but the next like supply zone that they could go to. And now I'm on my fourth or fifth battle of Carrollton in December 1861. Dude, the 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 i'm like maybe the 12th battle of wheeling will be the decisive one yes uh, oh i remember uh he's the hero of sixth fairfax courthouse <laughs> <laughs> yes um so uh some of this some of this really works like if you're trying to talk about the historical narrative of the civil war there were definitely areas that had multiple battles in it manassas had three specific battles of note. Um, yeah. And there were probably, there were a lot of other skirmishes. Like I believe Brandy station might've been somewhere near the Manassas map uh, or what the Manassas map is currently like the, in that Northern Virginia obviously had yeah. a tremendous amount of smaller engagements as well as the larger engagements. Uh, the problem is that or a problem is that sometimes the game doesn't know like which one is which. Uh, sometimes the AI will like head in, see that they have 20,000 men against 40,000 men, say nope, and just immediately retreat, which is annoying in that it goes through the loading screen, but it's not a terrible decision. Like huge amounts of the Civil War were generals looking across the river and saying, nope, 
they they outflanked me. I don't have uh I don't have the troops to actually pull off an attacking battle. Um so sorry, yeah. I'm just gonna retreat back to Atlanta. Uh and this is it's very good until it's very bad. It's like you you get six battles of Carrollton in a row, which makes sense in a certain logic, but also you're fighting six battles of Carrollton in a row. It's uh well, and I remember I sent you a, a text, I think, late at night where I where because we just had this discussion about like the Confederate AI especially just being so hyper aggressive. And then I, I sent you because I, I was reading foot and I was like, I got to the part where Beauregard in late 61 yes. is basically like tying the cobra kai bandana around his forehead and urging jeff davis like the only way we win this is if we win it now like we go That's now and was like let's cut the country let's cut the north in half at uh pittsburgh and yeah uh, cleveland uh, and pittsburgh to erie yeah and he was like this is the jugular let's go for it and and, and davis was like no and by the way you're fired um because you mouthed <laughs> off the public uh but so i was like wow okay so like this was actually a theory of the war that like the ai in this game basically fully embraces or ironically the way the game is just put together the ai identifies the same strategic advantage that it needs to seize here but either way the ai in a way that the confederates never did historically is just like we could just cut the north in half let's go yeah yeah cleveland is like I have seen major Cleveland invasions after losing the the initial bull run thing, and it's very strange. But well, and, and uh, but but if the Confederates actually do seize control of it, this is your Vicksburg, basically, where it's like the East doesn't work without the resources of the West, and vice versa. Like they both need, like the engines need to be connected. Um, and so those few times where I've let those Confederate invasions fester a little bit, it gets pretty dicey in terms of like overall supply status. Um, yeah. it's, it's cool, but, but as you sort of pointed out in that tax exchange, there's also other reasons why the Confederates didn't operate this way. Um, yeah. like this is just the, the Confederacy does not have it in them, uh, to be this maniacal about defending every patch of turf and they just are in this in this game yeah um and like when i was playing as the confederacy and i tried to to invade kentucky it was like here's the sixth battle of bowling green uh it just it just kind of goes the same way and unfortunately the bowling green kentucky central central kentucky area has maybe the worst map in the game attached to it we'll talk about the map soon those are great um but yeah, I I really disliked that one. Uh, I did manage to get an eighty thousand versus eighty thousand battle going, uh, and you know, I found I found some problems in the battle engine that I I I'm I'm either going to like obsessively post in that forum until I gain the ears of the developers, or I'm going to like become part of like some ridiculous mod team of this game because I'm like, okay, if we just tweak the routing levels to be a little higher and the amount of casualties done to be a little bit lower, you'll get actual historical battles here. It's so neat. But instead I'm just getting like Chickamauga level casualties in four hours. It's yeah. So uh, there is a speed to total war. And I don't mean the, the game series. I mean like just the concept of like, like, 
putting all material material resources into war, like fighting to the death, trying to smash each other's armies. This happens so fast in this game that like I'm kind of stunned by it uh, because you're right. It is like it's fall of 1861 or early 1862. And it's just tens of thousands of people now being, and, and part of that is being driven by again, the speed at which the Confederate States are like, okay, we've instituted a three-year draft. I'm just like, what? what? Like their opening move is to be like, okay, full mobilization of the war, right? Command economy. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> it's like, I'm sure I am sure like Davis would have been thrilled if this could have been like pushed through this early in the war. But like, it is interesting that it almost feels like to like the game sort of baked in advantages that the, the, the Confederacy especially like should probably seize while they are still advantages. And so it beelines for them. Uh, but that's, it a, also... that's a very nice way to put it. Uh, <laughs> The the way that after playing several games, several campaigns, the way that I would put it is that the Confederates, there are like certain master plans that the AI can choose. Yeah. Um, like if you go into the, there's a let's, like. Let's, a talk about, let's talk about yeah, what's driving the system. Can you describe the, the projects and yeah. policies uh, system? Okay. Yeah. Let's. Let, okay. So there are like two, two kind of overarching decision trees that you can make. And these are both relatively new to the game. I believe they're, they come out within the last couple months. They used to all be policies, which are kind of like, it's a political research tree, basically. Uh, the policies are, you say, I want to institute, you know, higher recruitment policies or more industrialization. And in a month, you've got it. Um, and then like, you, depending on various other economic factors and so on, you have only a certain amount, but it's fairly rare to actually run into uh, the cap on that. Um, and then, you know, some of them have to come later in the war, but that's very few of the ones that are important actually have to come later in the war. Uh, so, yeah, you have that, which is kind of a research time, time sensitive thing that like you say it and eventually it'll happen. And then on the other side, you have these things called projects which are probably closer to actual like research in terms of this being like how you get shinier new weapons. Um, but the way that it's done is that uh, on a finances screen, you like put subsidies into various parts of your economy you could have, or your systems. You could have politics subsidies, military subsidies, industrial subsidies, agricultural subsidies. Uh, these all old school EU uh, four sliders are EU, EU like two and three sliders, really. Yeah. Um, and these like build up a certain like subsidy pile that you can then use to purchase specific things when you have enough subsidies for them. Uh, this can be buildings. Like if you get enough agricultural subsidies, you can build a new farm for free uh, instead of being like $20 million, which is a pretty major hit on the economy or on on the government finances. It's good for the economy. Uh, the other thing they can do is that these projects allow you to like purchase new weapons or get like, it says that it's a process of taking old weapons and having them come out as new ones two months later and make some arms manufacturers rich and so on. But it functionally comes out as, you know, you click on this thing, you get new weapons. Uh, 
you can get ironclads that way. You can, as the Confederacy, you can get ironclads imported from France. Uh, this is also how you accomplish organizational reform that lets you have armies larger than corps or armies that include corps. Uh, the corps system is something that is modeled in a lot of games is something that happens in early 1862 and how it's modeled is a variety of different things. And whether the AI in this game can properly take advantage of it is uh, somewhat up in the air at the moment, I would say. Uh, I got to the point where I was switching sides in order to rearrange the enemy orders of battle and then be like, okay, now we can have a good fight. Um, you're, you're, booking, you're booking the Confederates in the Union uh yeah it's uh yeah so yeah so and and by the way this is where the games get okay so there's a couple things one first time i was playing i did not realize like i didn't fully internalize that like the little green hourglass thing means you're working on the project and vice oh so i was just like clicking on stuff and I paralyzed the union because I basically try to pursue every policy. And the way it works is you divide your, like the country's attention gets divided. And so even like doing 90 day enlistments or something for the union took me <laughs> the better part of like uh, the first year of the war to, to bring together. Uh, the, the funny thing is, so that policy is like the, the part where you're controlling the national budget and investing uh in these uh you know in in the uh policies tree for the union you basically don't have to choose you just max out all those sliders and just like finance everything fuck it like like everything you turn around they're like our bond rating is like lower but it's fine it'll bounce back and i'm like okay sounds good i'm just continue dumping money (laughs) into these systems now and there's a bit of like needing some of this seems like it's there to just kind of make sure things get off to an appropriately sluggish start. Like the union has to unlock the secret of the twelve twelve pound smoothbore cannon. And <laughs> it's like I'm pretty sure we know that. I'm pretty sure we know how to make those. But you you still have to unlock the ability to start putting in like large purchase orders for these weapon systems. And so, like, a good part of the early part of the game for the Union is just, like, are there willing bodies to put in the line? Yes. Are there weapons to give them? Well, define weapon. Uh, And so a big part of how you're using this is trying to, like, spin up this war machine. But you played a lot more on the Confederate side, where, like, the economy is not an infinite resource. The the You do not have a national destiny of becoming a military-industrial superpower. So the reason I played as the Confederates is because it feels way too easy as the Union, because once you actually start getting those guns, you just like melt Confederate armies. It's very frustrating to have like, all right, we're getting a good battle together here. How have I done two times more casualties than them when both sides are like, this is just a meeting engagement. They've got roughly equivalent armies hitting in roughly the same part, but I've done 7,000 casualties to them and they've done 3,000 casualties to me. This makes no sense. Um, so I decided to go play as the Confederates because they would have a harder time getting good weapons. Um, part of the problem here, uh, or part of the part of the history here, is that the last major patch uh, that I started playing with from like June or July, uh, they've added another one since, but the last major patch was like a, we're, 
completely updating all of the weapons. We, you can import Lorenz rifles from Austria, needle guns from Prussia. You can start getting early machine guns. Uh, and I get the feeling they're like very excited to have all these really cool weapons here. I'm like, is that good? Uh, no, because like the Union gets so many more that like it's not fun to play as them because you just walk up and the Confederates run away. Uh, even if they should have a tactical advantage, but you have the tactical advantage of guns that shoot uh, 200 yards more, uh, or they fire like, uh, you know, an extra faster. bullet per minute. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, it just feels like they, they've overtuned this. They've like, here are all these really cool guns. We want to make sure you know you have them. But uh it also means that in fall 1861, I am not fighting fair battles anymore. Um, and there are just a lot of snowballing mechanics here. Like we can talk about the industrial and economic advantages and manpower advantages that the union had. These are all true. But as soon as you add in like a human general that's winning battles yeah. and gaining experience for their troops and then stealing weapons from the dead or routed confederates uh so now like the confederates show up with some springfield rifle muskets uh you know the good solid default weapon but early in the game it's pretty powerful uh and then you beat them and they drop all those on the ground and now they're the unions and the union now has and it's worse with field guns the their their propensity to just be like, I'm gonna leave I'm gonna leave these teams of field gunners uh out in rifle range here with no covering infantry. Oh, they're all dead. They ran away. And so like I think, yeah, within three months of the war starting, the Confederacy has no artillery because it's all become union guns. Yeah. Uh or you know, they they're using like War of eighteen twelve, whatever the default artillery that every new artillery unit starts with. Um and yeah, it it snowballs out of control very easily. And the reason that the actual Civil War didn't snowball out of control is that uh, the Union had very, very bad generals and troops who didn't necessarily want to be there. And that's partially modeled, but the Confederates yeah. also have bad generals and their troops are not like especially effective either early in the game. And you have a human who's controlling these these decisions so just being slightly better at that uh gives the union just like infinite advantage so on the other war, hand yeah how many civil war games have we played rob dozens right yeah almost all of them that i have ever played i would say you don't want to play as the union like the union is significantly more boring than playing as the south you don't want to play for the south for other reasons yeah but in terms of like the the sides that are actually like taking the tactical initiative having to fight with their backs against the wall and make like really good gambles instead of just like slowly pushing your huge manpower advantage over and over uh almost every single one except for the gary grigsby civil war game uh tends to be that the south is uh, both more interesting to play as and uh, if the AI is playing the South they don't understand how to take the right gambles that make the game interesting yeah. um, so this isn't necessarily a bad thing that this, or this isn't necessarily a worse thing for this game it just feels weird because 
the union also feels like it should be more fun. You have all these economic tools. You have all these bad commanders you have to sort through. You have like all these green troops that you're recruiting. It's like, I don't know. Normally when I play like a strategic level civil war game, it seems like, oh yeah, I want to play as the South because the challenge is more interesting. Not because I uh, am a lost causer. To be clear, uh, the challenge is significantly more interesting. But in this game, it seems like the union should be there. I don't know what makes it like more immediately appealing, but it definitely is. Yeah, I am. So, I mean, I've definitely enjoyed playing the union. I think something it gets at uh, here is that. So. It works better in theory than in practice sometimes, but frequently, most of the time. The human, the human <laughs> general problem. Let's get on with the battles. So they've really leaned hard on some of the systems that we've loved in like the take command games in particular, with the idea that you are embodied as the like highest ranking general or generals on the scene. If they're two independent commands, uh, your orders mm-hmm. emanate from the two, uh, from, the, from whatever is the highest tier command on the battlefield, which means your orders emanate from a little a little model of a guy on a horse with some aids running around the battlefield and you can watch you can watch the little white horses of the couriers like go traveling around the battlefield with you issue commands and so that introduces like variable order delay uh and it encourages you to not bypass chain of command uh, because sending couriers out to every brigade on the battlefield, every gun on the battlefield is really cumbersome. It takes, uh, you just, you can't efficiently do it as the battles increase in scope because they are huge scales. These battle maps that we were, were talking about are like, what is it, eight mile by eight mile battlefields? Effectively? Something they're, like that. They're enormous. They encompass, encompass multiple towns. It's like this fight could happen anywhere in this map of this county that you are fighting on. Uh, yeah, but like the the seven days map uh the kind of uh southeastern virginia map for the battles encompasses like most of the seven days battles as well as cold harbor uh and i think there's probably even still some more room it doesn't quite manage to fit seven pines in there but yeah like yeah most of the battles you've heard of that took place there uh at least until the siege of petersburg uh and they're on that map and it does some things that are very cool, like it creates, I think it, it gets at one of the really defining features of Civil War battles, which is that information is highly imperfect as the armies are initially maneuvering. You do not know, like this battle could be happening anywhere. Like you you sort of see what is, whatever is the objective for the battle, but as the two armies enter their deployment air- areas, they might they could be anywhere in those deployment areas. Uh, and so like frequently you have an opening stage of the battle that involves a lot of like trying to figure out what is the actual battlefield going to be? Are we fighting, you know, are we fighting on this chain of Hills or is actually now it's going to be an entire fight across the map at a river crossing uh, with different terrain who knows? Uh, so you've got that stage of it where you're sort of encouraged to spread troops out and try to feel your way forward. Uh, but the order delay system and the delegation to AI subcommanders is really at the heart of this thing. And the problem that I can see uh, is that the AI is frequently just really bad as far as like their ability to like respond correctly to threats and deploy troops. And so you just being there as a human general 
often means that you will be able to just slice and dice even superior enemy armies just by virtue of the fact that you can identify like where is the small kink in their line that you're just going to start burrowing through and like unraveling their entire position you can identify it the ai really can't or the ai will deploy in uh like you know multiple successive lines and just march one brigade to another into a kill zone and you'll just wipe wipe the floor but but at times that works in the game's favor because your commanders will do that shit too yes and so when the game begins to really work sometimes is as the battle begins to sprawl maybe out of your ability to micromanage it closely at all you will eventually almost have to take your ai subcommanders and say I give you independent command. Here's your objective, but I'm going to say you're you should be in an assault mode. You should be thinking assault. I leave the details up to you, and then you watch as the AI interprets that according to his own abilities, but also to the abilities of the uh, AI generals attempting to model. And at that point, the shitty AI sometimes really becomes a great portrayal of yes civil war generalship because you'll be like okay here we go we need the the flank march and the crushing flank attack here we go and you watch nothing happen nothing. <laughs> or or burnside sends a single brigade forward to see what'll happen yeah and you'll sit or like the the worst nightmare is be like a general will be so cautious executing in advance that they will keep deploy the, everything deployed in like a line of battle moving through dense forest. And you're like, we do not have time for that. Like you need to use the road, use the road. I'm telling you it's scouted. Like, but we, but we brought axes. Yeah. And so you'll just be like, like, I think one of my most nauseating battles was um, <laughs> maybe it was like third wheeling, sixth wheeling. I don't know, but I was like advancing along this, um, along this main road to a shallow uh, dip between hills. And there was a flank march open onto some higher ridges that sort of overlooked what was the entire battlefield. Right now, most of those ridges were covered in Confederates and they were just butchering my forces coming up the main road. Like it was a real touch and go fight. But I had an entire like division free that I could send on this flank march. And they shook out into line of battle and marched through the worst ground on the like they, like the commander had picked <laughs> the worst ground on the battlefield so they eventually got into the position i'd intended for them to be about three hours late uh while my main thrust which was just meant to be a holding action had turned into just an absolute meat grinder and then my flank attack of course as you might imagine, didn't work at all because the troops were completely disrupted. There's no cohesion and they were exhausted. Uh, and so the entire thing just began to unravel. Uh, and it was just like, I drew it up. Like you've been an okay plan. I just couldn't get, can, I could not get Daniel Tyler to like pull his shit together. Uh, but like, if you read things about, the seven days battles is like when people talk about like the grand battles of the civil war, the seven days like very rarely comes up for like, it's 
difficult to distinguish between the battles, etc. It's very strange because McClellan just decided to retreat without even knowing anything. Like there's a bunch of mitigating factors, but another mitigating factor is that every single battle was incredibly fucking stupid. Uh, like if you go to the just the Wikipedia, it's like Lee drew up this complicated plan of division commanders doing this, and they all completely failed to do it. Even Longstreet, especially Jackson, famously, like even good commanders at this point did not have the capabilities of executing plans that were like, okay, we're going to hit them here, then here, then here. Uh, So, you know, all of these battles are just this, it's a comedy of errors that ends up with, you know, the Wikipedia summary of, uh, you know, uh, I don't remember the word, but piecemeal, piecemeal attacks with a few brigades at a time instead of actually getting all of these things together. And like, Early in the war, especially, you get these situations, and it's really good, but it's also really bad. Um, well, and it, it kind it, of drives home, like, why... So what made Jackson great? Jackson was everywhere on a battlefield. Like, everywhere. Yes. Like, had compl- like had unreal situational awareness, better than better than Lee did. Um, that was also why he died. Like, it is the fact that he was <laughs> everywhere meant that, at some point, he was somewhere Confederate soldiers did not expect him to be, and they lit his ass up uh and so that was that that was the end of jackson like the thing that made him good is also the thing that got him killed or so what what was longstreet's uh reputation kind of based on because he could put troops at the right position on the battlefield at the right time and like do what he was told and turns out by the standard of civil war generalship you're a wizard it's like holy shit did you just deploy your did you just deploy an entire (laughs) infantry corps exactly where you said you would by the appointed time unreal <laughs> uh there, there's a quote in the game like on the loading screens like it has little quotes for each general and multiple ones for the bigger generals but one of the long street ones is like from his memoirs or something it is just like uh i deployed my troops at the battle of williamsburg in the the place uh, it's like that that ian mckellen bit from extras where he's like uh how, where do they tell me to put my troops i get it written on a piece of paper uh, what do they tell my troops to do? Do I get it written on a piece of paper? And I followed that and they called me a genius. Uh, and like, yeah, that's that's like the game I played. Uh, the one that I got the deepest into was a, a Confederate game that I started in spring of 62, uh, about a month before Shiloh. Um, and I played it until late summer 1863. And like by the end, I realized I had generals and troops that I could tell them what to do and they would immediately start doing that thing as soon as they got the orders uh, instead of like the division commander being like, okay, I, I so, see your orders. I hear you talking um, and I'm going to process this for a bit and figure out what I want to do with it. And Rowan, so- does it feel like they just hard coded like the initiative stat the generals have? Is it just mean the delay between them receiving the orders and them doing anything? Because it feels it feels like it, it feels like your generals with like low initiative uh just won't move. And you're you're just sitting so, there being like fucking and also also the game really sets you up to just fuck up like in a chain reaction because you'll start being like, I should send more orders. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> you should not send more orders. He's he's Gotta figure out what they mean. 
just gotta take it, that time. you setting more orders will not help the situation the, the the problem here is who this general is but like you sending more commands to try and like hey maybe if i just explain it to you a different way maybe if i give you a different marching order maybe i'll change your stance this is not going to help the situation instead it's like you watch the counter reset and now you're like what in the world like I want like at one point I was like, all right, you got a good position here. Uh, I want you to hold this position for a while, so I'm putting you in a defensive stance. I look away. I start like fussing with some other stuff. I turn around. Defensive stance apparently meant retreat to the line of departure where there was like different ground, but maybe more defensible. What was not actually where the battle was happening. <laughs> and I was like, what in the world? It's like this is what defensive means to me. <laughs> yeah i mean this is the moment where this game is great um there's also some very clever mechanics here where you have like a national military capability stat i don't remember exactly what the stat is called but uh the more battles you fight i think it might be military experience or national experience or something the more battles you fight the higher the cap gets on what your commanders are capable of so at the start of the war, you have an incredibly low national experience cap, which means that even your best generals are still like only three out of five stars, and your worst generals are one or zero stars, and you mostly have your worst generals in charge. So you fight the battles; those worst generals will get better. They will start popping up to two stars. Oh, to this three is stars. The, this is the trap. This is how Irvin McDowell ends up like master of the war for like a, like yeah. a year and a half in my campaign. Yeah, uh, and this is like a really clever thing, uh, except that like it goes up for both sides after a battle, but I increasingly feel like because of that snowball issue that I was talking about earlier, maybe it should actually go up for the side that wins the battle. Maybe like that's the side. That's a great yeah, point. Yeah, that's because like this is how the Union got to the point where they actually had good commanders was they just lost battle after battle. They got their teeth kicked in over and over and, and over. And that's what was unmasking what the issues were. If, if right. the issue, like, yeah, if the ass kickings hadn't happened, then a lot of these politically connected generals don't get moseyed out of the way or the old West pointers uh, don't get, don't get shoved aside. Uh, but you're right. Like, because you're there being the human in charge and guiding these armies to like field victories, you end up in this weird situation where the game is like man clellan huh and i'm like yeah what and i mean the the way that promotions work like basically ask the player to do a, a certain level of role playing which i think is i think you and i are both very willing to do with this game. yes very um, willing we, we, the game opens the door and we are willing to walk through <laughs> that door but like how do you pick which generals are in charge? Well, I could go search for Grant. I could go search for McPherson. I could go search for Thomas. That's cheating. Or, Yeah, that's cheating. Or I could say, all right, next guy up, this division commander needs to replace his wounded corps commander, the guy who's been here the longest, who has the most fame, who has the most combat experience is, you know, Daniel Tyler. So now he's in charge of the entire Army of the Potomac. Uh, 80,000 men with a guy who's, you know, another famous incompetent. And, you know, 
there are a lot of weird promotion things, especially on the union side, that I yeah. think have to be massaged a bit just to make sure that Henry Halleck doesn't end up commanding an artillery regiment or battalion somewhere for the entire war. Uh, but yeah, like picking out how you're going to role play, this is how promotions work in my army. Grant is going to have to earn it. Thomas is going to have to earn it. Sherbet is going to have to earn it. Uh, it's just really fun. Like, we haven't talked about the orders of battle. The orders of battle system in this game is... It's all we, it's so, all we wanted. I mean, so here's the thing. I almost, like, I'm playing it too, and I'm like, also, I'm not entirely sure I wouldn't love a Napoleonic-style war game that is all orders of battle and chains of command because so much fun here is like okay so like this this loops back to the strategic level thing which is okay uh based on the population of a state and the sort of war fervor uh there in the state the enthusiasm for it plus whatever your draft or recruitment laws are and how much you've invested in having like recruiting agents out there raising troops you have a pool of people level of casualties uh can also damage support and also just number of troops but so you raise brigades from regions and you can divert them into infantry or you can say i need an artillery battery or cavalry uh regiment or uh you know uh, horse artillery whatever but for the most part, it, mostly what you're going to be doing is, is putting infantry out there. And from there, uh, you, like, who's the brigade commander? And you kit them out with what guns are they carrying? And also, that's going to be really dependent. And you, and you can change the colors of their uniform. I wish the uniforms looked better. I wish they're, like, I wish it were more sad. Like, like so many of the color palettes just kind of ugly. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, I can't build the zouaves of my dreams uh, here. <laughs> so I'm just not going to try. But uh yeah you you can do things like uh you know i think it would be cool if uh like my my work a day rhode island artillery were just showing up in like brown coats uh you can do that uh you can have people wearing like uh you know black black jackets or or whatever or or put uh various regiments in the colors of the best state schools uh in those yeah. places like my inventory in my my uh hoosier uh, black and gold infantry for uh, Purdue. You can do that. <laughs> and you can rename it, so you could call them the, like, third uh, Boilermaker Brigade. Or you have to wait until they distinguish themselves in battle in some way. Well, yes. To really feel, like, yeah. So so yesterday in the uh, Immortal Empires podcast, uh, Lynn and John were talking about getting excited about playing the Chaos Factions. Because, so they were like, all way too enthusiastic about it. They're 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 super excited about like you start with these marauder horsemen and then you promote them into like the champions of chaos or whatever and you like keep promoting them and like you can rename them as you promote them and they were they all had their their mechanics Steve's brigade for John and and Lynn was like the you know uh, marauders of the bear or whatever and like yeah this is I was like this is very cute and I'm going to be talking about exactly how I'm doing this tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I. Uh, so so the thing is, like, a, another cool thing is, like, for instance, what are you kidding troops out with? Uh, I think it's awesome that early in the war, especially rifles are worth their weight in gold, uh, because mostly what you have is cast off, uh, like muskets from the last major war, like Mexican American War, basically, and mm -hmm. you know they're not 
viable anymore on the battlefield. I guess if they run another musket armed troops, fine. But like the muskets do not, the, the muskets have half the effective range of the Springfield rifle muskets. And so suddenly your baby armies, you're like, not only are you rookies, but I need you to walk into this rifle fire and get real close and then shoot them. And yes, you will not hit them very hard. And then, <laughs> then at this point, they will just be mowing you down. But here's the good news. There's a thousand of you rookies. And there's maybe only like 500 of them. So you can take it. And and so like, but if you have a good, you know, war economy, you've got uh, reserves of weapons to draw from, et cetera, et cetera. But then you point the commander. Commander has the traits. Um, and part of it is going to be you can see there at the start of the war, especially for Union, here are the guys who are going to win the war. They're all at like, they're fit for the lowest level of command. And the whole thing you're going to be doing is I need to rapidly put them in places to gain experience so that I can promote them up uh, where they're now appropriately leveled for the next rank up. So they go from brigade commander to like divisional commander. Uh, and then rack up experience there and move them up and up and up. And that also yeah, means... See, there, there's a very clever, another clever uh, mechanic where combat experience is the main thing that improves a commander. When you promote a commander directly, if you say, hey, you know, I want Grant to go from a colonel at the start of the war to a major general, he has Mexican-American war experience. Let's just press promote a couple times. His stats will actually go down because promoting make promoting without the game will automatically promote commanders as they fight. But if you go above and beyond that promotion, uh, the combat experience like goes down. So Grant will go from three stars to two stars in a few things. He'll be a little less less able if he doesn't know him. his job at this tier, which is the John Bell yeah. Hood problem. You know, it's like right. very, very good low level line commander. All right. Well, you seem pretty good. Let's let's rush you up into a theater command role. Uh Oh, <laughs> I mean, also, you're outnumbered two to one literally everywhere you go, which is but he still decided he wanted to attack anyway. So it's it's definitely on him to some extent. Like the Confederacy itself, he craved annihilation. Yes. Uh, so. But yeah, and then in as as you're going through this, now you're like, well, who's gonna be my who's gonna be my fantasy division lineup? Who's gonna be my fantasy core lineup? And like, what's my band of brothers here for the commanders here? Because like feuds break out, commanders don't like each other. Uh, feuds most are that, great. I want to very simple things. Yeah, like mo- for the They're most very part, simple. Um, Commanders who have more fame or more experience than the commander directly above them will occasionally be feuding with them and either not accept orders or go do their own thing. So I had an early battle in one game where Stonewall Jackson got in a feud with his commander. I'm playing as the Union. I'm just watching this happen. Stonewall Jackson got in a feud with his commander. It might have been on one of the West Virginia maps. It was pretty heavily forested. I have like, you know, deployed my lines facing the enemy lines, battles started to kick in a little bit, et cetera, et cetera. Then all of a sudden, this single Confederate brigade shows up behind mine where there weren't like easy roads to march around. He would have had to pull a full Chancellorsville, march his brigade on its own all the way around like half the map 
pops up behind my, my division and routes most of it. And it's just like, that's the dude that's he, he's doing his thing because he thinks he's being led by a moron. This is, this is fantastic. I love this. Do more of this. I've not seen a game where Sherman does not lose his shit on everybody. Like, it's just (laughs) like, okay, Sherman, who are you going to be fighting with today? Uh, And, you know, the terrible political generals do this too, because they're like, there's also, there's also a mechanic that says the political generals are more likely to feud, but often they have higher fame. But fame is kind of like half people know you and half kind of military reputation. Like Henry Halleck has a high fame at the start of the game. well, and, and I'm not sure if that's from doing anything in particular, but uh, he was like well respected by Union troops enough to take over from Fremont in the West very early. Um, but yeah, that Stonewall Jackson thing is also that he has this like incredibly high cunning, incredibly high initiative. Uh, so when he he has the ability to pull Chancellorsville by himself. Like almost no other commanders, when you set them to attack or set them to assault, are willing to do that kind of thing. But I've seen him do it with divisions and so on. Uh, it's it's pretty neat to watch this unfold. Yeah, I I think that is it's it's a great feature and it's just so fun to like see the army you built sort of come together uh, and like start like when I realized like oh having division level artillery is not working at all. Like it has to be, it has to be an army or core level asset because having the brigades scattered under the command of these really variable quality division commanders is not working. Like, especially because fields of fire are such that like, if you find a good place to command a good fraction of the battlefield, that's worth its weight in gold. Like you're going to, you're going to pile as many batteries into that position as humanly Mm -hmm. possible. Uh, and so there's just no reason to have these things detached running around with the line line infantry, uh, especially under the command of like often your least proven commanders. It's like, nope, I need I need a general of artillery just like moving four or five batteries around at once uh, to create yeah. like real, real kill zones. Um, and that's like the fact that you get there through the order battle interface is kind of neat where you're like, Oh, this is, so this is why this idea just from chain of command issues, why this doesn't work uh, as a, like as a template for how the army can fight. Yeah. Um, Um, And there's also like points in the game. uh, There's an artillery reform that you can get along with the organizational reform and the cavalry reform that lets you build bigger artillery units. That's the point at which I say, all right, the army knows now that we're putting a bunch of like larger batteries together under the command of one guy and not, you know, it's just scattering a few little guns around next to each brigade. How is core level stuff handled? Because like I just keep restarting the campaign uh, where it's being fought <laughs> with large armies. And my question was this. On the one hand, something it does well is that it gets at this notion of past a certain point these armies get really unwieldy both on the tactical level and on the strategic map where it's like you can't put that many troops at the tail end of an offensive supply line before things start getting real dicey in terms of like just keeping them in fighting shape and so you are encouraged to kind of divide your armies and have them converge at a strategic location for a big battle but like the battle might require eighty thousand troops on your side to win that's true you cannot put 80,000 guys on a single like backcountry road and say, go fight that battle. 
can't like it's, yeah they will eat they, they will eat they'll be too slow they will eat too much like of their own food along the way and they will not be able to resupply it's just it's bad for a whole variety of reasons but the thing i don't get is like effectively i feel like i'm already fighting with core and division because like every every agent on the map is a separate army and mm-hmm. they've got divisions in them and so when they converge at a location it's effectively like i've got multiple core and so it's like what does the core do how do they how do they get at this aspect of it because like right now there seems to be no downside as far as like having completely independent bands just kind of showing up on the same battlefield in fact it's advantageous because the order delay system and the way they uh the way they portray that well the first advantage is much prettier orders of battle okay that's huge yeah that's huge um there are like direct mechanical advantages that the game talks about i think like they're more likely to show up as reinforcements even if they have to march further so you can scatter them a little bit further away and yeah they'll show up a day later but they will show up where those those further away uh detached cores or divisions or individual units are less likely to show up uh they might actually show up faster i'm not i i don't remember the exact tool tip um interesting side note i have had reinforcements this was on one of the streams that i did uh where it like promised reinforcements from another core leonidas pope in seven hours it took him about 27 hours to actually show up nightmare i lost that battle uh yeah that was that was hilariously apt for you know the western theater of the civil war did he show up and get rocked in a later battle because he's so late that he just walks into the same no he actually showed up and won his battle but then the other core that didn't show up which wasn't expected to show up they were always going to be way behind uh got rocked so he's like he's got the only the only core left and is just like well this offensive is done sorry dude uh yeah and you're on real thin ice now uh i don't even know if the commander is actually responsible for that but as you know the theater commander or the president or whatever i'm just like i need reasons to fire you assholes this is a real good reason to fire you even if it's not technically your fault uh still blaming you we lost this battle it was big um but anyway yeah there are reinforcement advantages there's also supply advantages apparently like the it models that supply goes to each core individually in a more efficient manner than it would if they were detached armies um there are, however, pretty major negative things if your cores get too far away, where it's basically the same issue as the battlefield, where um, you give the command to your army leader, your army leader gives the command to the core leader, that can take 10 hours. That can take 36 hours if you've like sent them to Tennessee, uh, which is, it's like, pretty, that's a pretty interesting and occasionally very frustrating thing, like when uh, when you want to send Longstreet uh, to help out in the West. Uh, it's like, okay, when do I detach him that makes this work right? And when do I reattach him in a way that he won't just be paralyzed by the chain of command? Um, it's a little quirky, but like I, I, I enjoy that uh, it doesn't just let you, you know, send these things all over. Yeah. However, the downside, once again, the AI doesn't really know what it's doing here. I've found the Army of the Potomac Corps wandering around eastern Kentucky. Uh, 
while like individual armies are being raised up in Delaware that are not attached to the Army of the Potomac. Needlely, Rowan's got to like load this as the Union side, like rearrange the ducklings. Yes, and unfortunately, as I did that, as the war went on, I would come back and discover that the AI had drafted a whole bunch of troops. Those drafted troops hit your national support real hard. So now I've let, I come back and like Virginia is down to 75% support when, you know, Virginia is pretty enthusiastic for the Confederacy in a lot of these games. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely difficult to like force things into the right way. Um, I had a story for you yeah. that I realized that I think that you would, you would very much enjoy particularly Rob, uh, just my, my, Wanting to make these games fair and wanting to play as both sides goes back to like 1992. I'm playing Microprose's World Circuit game, the first like really serious Formula One game. I used to be very into Formula One and dropped that by like the mid late 90s. But uh, I'm playing this game. It had a thing where you could play as multiple cars in the field and it was designed probably for like a hot seat you play for like five minutes and then your buddy comes in and jumps in five minutes i'd be like oh i'm playing every car now so i would i would race for 15 seconds then like wait 10 seconds switch to the next car and then i'd make some of them intentionally crash so i could handle a little easier but i would do the this is the only way that i had like the concentration and the patience in order to do like a full 70 lap race was just consistently switching and like doing my best with every single person uh yeah i would play both sides of the civil war game if i could um sometimes sometimes you hear a story and you think like only doctors had known to ask about like gaming habits back in like (laughs) like so many things about so tell me how do you engage with this 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 hobby and like so much might be gleaned uh with with stories <laughs> like that that is like that is amazing and also like yep yeah, that's that's rowan that is yeah but it like so with with the way the armies move like i think it's they do a great job of like you know railroad lines so important and like you if you have the strategic rail lines under control the ability to warp armies uh to a critical juncture is terrific the ai does this actually um the ai does not need the railroads under control which is part of the reason that confederate armies will pop up all over the place in the union map uh especially before the patch that you're saying they're just hopping on the train at evansville and just riding it into central ohio yes god damn it no game (laughs) wrong bad (laughs) yeah that's uh, that is uh Possibly the biggest complaint on the forums. Uh, yeah, I think that's it's probably right. lessened with, with the recent patches. Oh, I thought they were just like, wow, they're, they're all foot weird. cavalry. Incredible. Yeah, they're all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, but like, they're, at least at least they use it. They're aggressive about using it and like rushing. Yes. Range. Like, so when you're trying to like rest uh, sort of the, the left flank of the Confederates in Virginia and such uh, away from them, they will rush troops away from the richmond uh frontier and like try to yes. hit like try to get there and that's really cool um uh, they'll will... do that even if you're not resting in front of richmond which is a problem yeah uh, this yeah so like this is the thing it's like there are places where like this is so good 
and like this is such a great civil war game it has so many cool details like launching one of the amphibious invasions as the union all around like putting the putting the anaconda into its chokehold around uh around the confederacy like cool dig it um but yeah then the fact that the tempo of the war is such that like it's turned into a meat grinder by like february of 1862 and yeah. it's like we're we're already at levels of like declining war support and deep drafts of like manpower that the war does not historically get to for like another year um yeah, and, and the other thing is that like the ai does this at the expense of their economy right yeah. they're not doing those economic policies they're just researching going down the the recruitment tree as quickly as they can which means they're not doing industrial they're not doing right. agriculture so all those troops are popping up with the shittiest rifles yeah. with no training with no food um which leads to situations especially on higher difficulties uh, i've realized that this game kind of doesn't the difficulty levels don't work in this game. That was huge for, um, when you when you told me when you told me what was going on and why it was actually getting easier as the difficulty increased. Yeah, like, this was huge. So um, the difficulty like increases the morale of your average unit, and it increases like the uh, um, manpower that each state can have. So say the Confederates can recruit more three thousand man brigades, and those brigades can fight longer in battles. Great. Perfect. They're coming out with shitty weapons. They're coming out completely green. They're just marching into fire and letting Union troops just pick them off over and over and over. Those Union troops gain experience. They take whatever rifles the Confederates have after the battle because they've inflicted massive casualties. And instead of like winning a battle with 8,000 casualties inflicted, they'll win a battle with 17,000 casualties inflicted. Every single one of those rifles picked up off the... Uh, picked up and taken away from the confederates given to the union uh so the union just gets stronger and like experience for troops is so massive having a single one-star brigade in the early game against a bunch of greenhorns like that brigade can route a whole division yeah. like they they can they'll they'll be better at moving they'll be better at their flanking maneuvers and so on but also they can you know stand and do more damage and take more damage uh so the union is getting all this experience they're getting all this gun they're getting the national experience their commanders are improving etc cetera, etc cetera. uh so hard mode actually takes the snowball effect and like massively ramps it up um there's like a, a stat on the the overall strategy screen that says um like number of battles won for each side yeah uh and like when i was playing on hard i was like 60 to 1 and when i was playing on mediocre which is the game's version of medium or default it'd be like 60 to 40 or something like that uh i've well that was as the confederacy um but even even playing as the union i'll still lose occasional battles even if i'm inflicting massive casualties so yeah, this, there's, this game is a really good example of having a lot of systems that work really well, they make sense, but there are these points of friction where it's like, okay, now these systems have gotten to the point where hard mode, even though it's actually yeah. doing things that like everyone would think is actually making the game harder, makes the game easier. 
how is this happening? Yeah, and well, and this is well, this is why they just got to read your comments on their forum. Like they really need to start yeah. paying attention. Uh, that's that's yes. I mean, if you're if you're uh, if you work on this game, you're listening to this. Like Rowan's Rowan's dropping pearls of wisdom here, but it sounds like also a lot of the community <laughs> can see what's going on. It's just like like it it is it is like these things that feel sometimes so excruciatingly close in terms of hey, well, just make sure that like the the armies that that the AI is not recruiting armies that they can't equip like tone that down a little bit like because it's true sometimes it is useful just to have bodies in the line uh you know even if they are not well equipped like that's true that's useful up to a point but you're basically like the fact that the ai is basically running the um volga crossing scene of enemy at the gates like by the minute the war starts and it's like you've got Robert E. Lee being like when the man in front of you is shot pick up his musket and continue <laughs> like it just uh, like it's absurd and like you you do get this like horrible snowball of like now my army which hasn't even really won that many big battles is still unstoppable because they've just done so much chip damage to these like confederate trash armies that like now they're buzzsawing through them. Um, on the other hand, do you want to tell a story about uh, sometimes you just get that good Civil War shell? You talked about Stonewall. Well, we, we still haven't talked about the maps like in detail here and like the actual fighting of the battles, which is, I think is the good thing to end on here because this is the really good shit. This is easily the most impressive part of the game, especially when it's working. Even when it's not working, it's still impressive in some ways. Yeah, so... I'm going to start, my start can illustrate some of this, which is, um, so we, we talked about these, these enormous battlefields with the good God, the zoom in zoom out map where like zoom out sufficiently, it turns into a period appropriate, like parchment map, including appropriate legends on the map, right? Writing in who is the commander on the field, uh, for yeah. who this commander is like the presentation of this game is off the charts. Good. And then you zoom in and like that a map, five person team. It's insane it's the, like that and that's one of the things you can like the game is a marvel like this is one of the coolest fucking games i have ever and i'm saying yes it's broken in all these ways one of the coolest things from end to end i've ever touched like we're talking yeah. shogun level maps here yeah like it's the, the sort of the way that endless legend did that like game of thrones thing as you zoomed out in the way that crusader kings 3 has that this tiny little team yeah. has done roughly equivalent with and here's Civil War parchment battle maps and it's yeah you can use it like uh when i was watching you on stream you were mostly fighting from like the zoomed in sid meyer's gettysburg level i mostly fight from the zoomed out like here are my brigades here's their lines let's try to make this fit together um, and like, I'll zoom in to get my artillery sight lines right and, you know, watch the battle once I get it set. But yeah, uh, it's pretty wildly, wildly great. So there was a battle, uh, might have been uh, 21st Wheeling, uh, where I had basically I tried a pincer maneuver, but the march timings hadn't worked out. And one of my one prong of the pincer ended up in a huge dust up uh with the entire confederate army in the region and because they were approaching from two different directions uh when you go to the strategic map when you go to the tactical map 
there are entry points on the battlefield from where the road connects mm-hmm. to the wider road network and the ones that nobody's coming down are left like uncolored uh union is blue confederate are red and they had two potential entry points onto this map and your I, reinforcements theirs okay like, so yeah. where their army might be deploying to start out the battle would be like the locus would be based on these two locations right and i made a gamble about where i figured the confederates were going to be based on just what the state of play was on the strategic level etc and like where it seemed like there would be a better approach for the confederates to take so i prepared to defend uh this this high ground uh sort of in the center of the map that straddled this road but i did realize like there was a back door to the position uh which was a forest and a creek off to my right flank down this down this like long escarpment and it would be a difficult angle of attack but it was also totally blind and so if the confederates did come from the east and not from the north i could be in some real trouble so i hedged and i put sumner's kentucky rifles because they they had they had a they had a union they had a brigade designation by now uh rowan yeah because they yeah, they oh, were Sumner, the, yeah Sumner they were, is very good in the early game Sumner's great and also this brigade was armed with mississippi rifles which are a non-manufacturable rifle as you alluded to as you got into the uh like files the, the data files under the game these are basically high-end civilian weapons for like hunt hunters I think I think I looked them up and they were like some of the original like post-Napoleonic rifles that were like barely ever used because there weren't very many wars post-Napoleon and there were some other weird issues. But they are the early game longest uh, yeah. longest range rifles. They have like, like fucking Hawkeye shit from Last Mohicans, like high yeah. like like quality crafted, handcrafted rifles, uh, ridiculous range cannot be produced uh later in the war this is what this this is what this brigade has i post them in these woods alone to watch the right flank but like they're unsupported because they're just there to make sure that no one comes through the battle's going to be decided i think on the ridges under my guns and with my thin line of artillery uh holding a uh, thin line of infantry sort of screening the artillery and that's where i think this is all going to go down well predictably you accelerate time, uh, start moving the day along. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. No sign of Confederates. Accelerate time further. We're going to the 10x. Uh, the morning is is burning through, and then real suddenly, a Red Brigade shows up in those woods off to Sumner's front, which is very far away from where everyone else is deployed, and then another Red Brigade. And then another. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's their army. <laughs> and so Sumner, Sumner has the entire Rev army to his front. And everyone else is guarding an empty road. <laughs> and to get to Sumner, they're going to have to march across a range of hills. Uh, where across the road. There is no road that leads to Sumner. They're just going to have to march transverse to the roads go over a range of hills and then enter this forest that he's holding alone but i'm just like okay don't panic 
<laughs> like just get the get ever moving along uh i've got like my little commander who's a little like nerd from pennsylvania uh who leads the pennsylvania department at the start of the war um i can't remember patterson? his name yeah patterson and he's just running around being like come on gang like let's let's start moving but i'm like sumner it is time to put in work like i need <laughs> you and i pick i take one other regiment uh one other brigade uh and have them just start double timing uh across the ground to get on sumner's flank but for a while there's sumner's alone and i'm like it's time to play hero ball like you guys <laughs> like i am putting you on open fire at the longest range i'm telling you deploy the skirmishers and like get into the deepest part of these woods and just like go to work and for two hours sumner's troops fight this like slow grudging fighting retreat through these woods taking on three sometimes four rev brigades as they keep trying to shake out in the line of battle right but it's tricky because every time you move laterally through the woods you're out of action for a while because it's just so slow mm -hmm. and i am watching the damage these troops with these like fucking baited blades of rifles <laughs> like it's all like named guns effectively are just like wiping out confederates at just a ridiculous like casualty exchange rate and they are being pushed back and they are getting gutted like this is the last stand of this brigade right like this 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 brigade comes in with like 750 men it's like 300 are going to walk out of this battle uh the kentucky rifles are going to be done by the end of this but they have massacred a ton of revs and just as they're, they're starting to waver that double timing exhausted ass wisconsin regiment like stumbles into the tree line on their left and they get the fucking support bonus now yeah and so now both both of them sort of stiffen up and start like driving the rebels back and like collapse one but but one of the regiments the the brigade they caused to collapse they are they have so many rebels to their front that basically a division shows up and takes their place like it is we we knocked out one brigade and now we're facing another balance of their army uh and so the entire fight just turns into this like long dense meat grinder in the woods as i'm slowly trying to prepare the final stand uh at the exit to the forest uh to to hold this together uh and it's just an incredible fight where like these guys get slowly backed up all the way to the clearing where finally just as my guys are giving away and the, the rebels are gaining access uh to to what would have been like my rear area just as they are finally like breaking out of the woods my first artillery batteries are unlimbering and like some of my shitty little musket armed troops are finally like huffing and puffing up the hill uh to get into this final position and like it is it is literally like finally these heroic union troops are streaming toward the rear like the rebels are coming up like out of the tree line and you see the guns whipping around and like canister shot shot open up and like you just see all the icons start flashing red for the rebels <laughs> and like they are brought up short. The musketeers come up and I put them in like, do not like, like whites of the eyes mode where it's like short range fire only. Um, and so they hold their fire until the rebels are like, you know, point blank and it's done. 
it's done. It turns into a complete massacre. Uh, but it was just like, it was cool because I had fucked up. I had fucked up. Yeah. And like, it was the fact that this was an experienced brigade in like perfect position under a talented commander that like neutralized a ridiculous amount of numbers. Um, you know, I had misread the, the like tactical map completely, but in terms of the actual fighting of the battle, the effectiveness and execution as one unit, like was unparalleled. Didn't see anything else like it in my time with the game. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds like you hit a perfect AI exploit where it was exactly what you wanted in this, like the narrative you had constructed and that worked really well. It's just like, now imagine if you'd put a whole division there and instead they just massacred the entire Confederate army as soon as they showed up. That's the thing. They would have done it if I, if yeah. like they shouldn't have been in those woods, they should not have come through those woods. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, we could talk about the the really good things here, which is that like the combat system in this game is not quite full on Sid Meier's Gettysburg. We're not down at the regimental level, but it's more historical and I think generally more fun than uh, Ultimate General. Um, but you're you're it's it's somewhere between these two, except that it's doing this on, you know, it's doing random battles. These are not uh, these are not embedded battles. We're not fighting the Battle of Murfreesboro over and yeah. over. We're not fighting uh, Antique specifically. We're not doing Sid Meier's Gettysburg. We can be on those maps. Uh, we can have interesting things. There are historical battles in the game that I haven't fiddled with much. Uh, I have seen people complaining that like the the major campaign changes that they have done recently have sort of hit those battles in ways that are, are not great. So I might wait for another patch or three to, to fix those up to, to really get in them. But like when you get into a random battle or a campaign battle here, it will pop you onto a map, probably a historical battle map. There are, you know, 15, 20 historical battles in the game. Most of the big civil war battles, plus a few like random ones The you know, there's like a Jacksonville campaign battle. So that you have a map for Florida yeah. now. Um, so if you get in a battle in Northern Virginia, chances are you'll be on the, the first or second to bull run map. Uh, and these maps are huge. Like the entirety of first and second bull run largely takes place in like the left center in the center of the map. Uh, there's still stuff in the top left, top right, bottom right, etc. Um, the skirmish that took place before Bull Run would be like in the bottom right of that map. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, but like these units are coming in from different angles. They're popping in uh, without much information about where the enemy might be. So you can, you know, start a battle where you're the attacker on a Bull Run map and be like, okay, it looks like the objective is Henry House Hill, so we're going to probably be doing something similar to First Bull Run, yep. but then the enemy has lined up like in the woods across the river or something like that, and the battle just ends up taking an entirely different tone. Um, so you have like the familiarity of like, oh yeah, I'm on Chancellorsville, I know this one, uh, combined with the sheer chaos of Chancellorsville slash Wilderness being, oh god, that map. <laughs> that map that map is a nightmare like it's not yeah. like 
and the thing is you'll have to fight there because it's northern virginia you have to fight yes well it's not fun it's not fun like it is there's a few like dirt track roads that are just critical but you can't see anything um and it really does drive home like and you you just get caught in the wrong position here you're done yeah so this was like the most impressive ai moment that i had um i'm fighting i'm playing as the union fighting the army of northern virginia or the rough equivalent thereof uh i think sometime in 1862 the troops aren't the generals aren't good yet but they're you know, I've gotten to the point where it's like I have 80,000 men against 60,000 or something like that. Um, like a, you know, four to three advantage. Uh, so, like, I have one corps that shows up from the north. I deploy them along one of the rivers facing the Confederate Army, like really good defensive position. And then a day later, I'm supposed to get everyone else reinforcing me. So I'm like hoping to pull a, a second bull run here where the Confederates just attack this this terrible position for attacking and then my troops will show up and just roll them up. Um, they don't. Uh, good on the AI for seeing a fairly obvious trap and waiting for the rest of my army to show up and try to beat it. Uh, so some of that army comes in from the northwest, they start rolling them in, but the bulk of it is two corps coming in or from the northeast. Uh, two corps rolling in from the east. Uh, so they're walking up like the Fredericksburg roads the ones that Lee came down at Chancellorsville. Mm -hmm. uh, and like these two corps show up in the same way in reasonably thick forest, but they're on the roads uh, early in the morning, 7 a.m. or so, like right as the battle is starting uh, or right as the day is starting. Uh, but they're not coming in in a way where I can deploy them. They're coming in in a, in a way where they're like all sort of hitting at once. So they're coming in in March column at the same time, like 20 brigades all on top of each other. It's like, okay, I will, you know, issue my orders to get these guys sorted out. And then they can like stream through the three roads that functionally work and hit all hit the Confederate flank. This is perfect. And then like I can, you know, have the other corps attack across the river if if that's possible. Instead, what happens is like a thunderstorm hits. So they're marching through the mud and they're getting like super um uh they're losing their coherence really badly. Mm -hmm. And then like two Confederate general or two Confederate divisions just suddenly pop out of the woods and start attacking them. A few artillery shells hit, you know, they start getting the little route button flashing. The Confederate infantry hits rebel yell, not in the game, but I think we could assume that this happened. So like, you know, 8,000 Confederates rush out the woods whooping hit these two union corps that are still trying to just kind of sort them out. And like, that's it. Battle's over. The half of those brigades route. I just call things off. This, this is, I like the, incredibly shitty. I like that. Also the, the fear contagion aspect here is pretty strong, yes, in this game, which I think is really appropriate. Like, I think if you're, if you're, if your civil war game doesn't have the fact that like nothing rips the heart out of the mm -hmm. army faster than watching other parts of the line give way. Uh, you're just not going to reproduce the dynamics of how these battles work, which is like, why does this, well, how does an entire core just disappear in a heartbeat? Like, like happens at Antietam, right? Like why does Mansfield's like attack completely unravel? Cause the minute they get hit from the side and the panic starts, they're just done. doesn't matter how many of them. Yeah. Are. Yeah. Um, and like once a unit gets routed, it's morale is like 
really wobbly for the rest of the battle, even if it if it comes back. So they're like useful to put in support, but you don't you probably don't want them as your front lines. Um, there are actually like a few incidents of like civil war, really weird civil war bullshit happening that is very difficult for a game to model. And it's like these are the things that if this game doesn't model it, that it's going to be very difficult for it to be a fully civil historically yeah. accurate civil war game uh, and we could talk about those in a minute but like yeah i i just saw those saw those troops retreat knew the battlefield i was on called it off the thing was like i looked at the casualties after the afterwards i'd still done two to one casualties on the confederates like yeah. somehow like as the union i still had the rifles to still do the damage that made that like drain their armies further than mine even though it's, yeah um yeah it's it's rough but like so it's so, something that you still talking, bullshit yeah that you yeah that you so need you're to, talking yeah. about the contagion right uh siege of chattanooga uh braxton bragg is now facing a far superior union army he has the better position in the mountains facing down on chattanooga uh but Grant has like a plan where like each corps is supposed to attack and take like one little bit away. One chunk goes here, one chunk goes here. Then there's like a final, a final push where um, the Army of the Cumberland, or I believe it was the Army of the Cumberland, the one who had like mostly gotten whipped at Chickamauga, they're supposed to just kind of give a gentle push on the center, see what happens. Mostly a feint. Um, Bragg has lined up his troops in like multiple lines, uh, all fortified, go slowly going up the mountain. And given the order that uh, the troops at the first line should run away, they should say, we're not going to actually fight this battle. We're going to retreat up to the next line, like really solidify that, like discombobulate the union who now has to like rush forward, do too much. Um, Bragg, however, does not tell the second and third lines, the people further up the mountain, that so he's, do, the he's doing cowpens without telling everyone they're doing cowpens. Yes, I uh, and like these Confederate troops who realize that like this is a far superior Union army. This is not a Confederate uh, army that has won a lot of battles. They see these troops streaming up, and they're like, "Oh shit!" And then the Union army is one that has recently been whipped, wants to prove themselves. So they're like, oh, these guys are running? We're going. So all the Union troops start charging, all the Confederate troops start running, and it, they just like capture significant chunks of Bragg's army and take them off of the defensive ground because the panic started, and one side got really excited, and one side got really terrified, and that was the end of the battle. Like It was... Yeah, just it didn't end up actually being, uh, you know, in any way a tactical fight. Unlike Chickamauga before then, another extremely important piece of Civil War bullshit. Rosecrans gives a general to gives it a, an order to a general, a division commander says, I need you to support this guy on your flank, support meaning move behind him. So this general's like, why is he doing this? I don't understand these orders. Rosecrans is giving the orders directly to a division commander instead of going to the corps commander. A uh, division commander just doesn't know what to do, eventually decides, all right, I'm going to take my unit, move it out of the line, put it behind this other one, because that's what the boss says to do. Uh, doesn't really seem to make a ton of sense, but maybe he has a good idea. 
that hole in the Union line opens right at the point where Longstreet is about to do one of the best attacks of the war, just like completely melts the entire Union flank because Rosecrans had given a bad order that got followed and like in the dense woods in northern Georgia, the Union army like didn't really realize that they had just created this massive hole. And this is in late 1863. This is when the generals are supposedly competent. Um, but there's still just so much chaos. And like, if you're playing a civil war game, why would you ever break your lines like that? Yeah. If you're playing, if you're playing uh, Sid Meier's Gettysburg, if you're playing Ultimate General, if you're playing, you know, Civil War generals, anything tactical, um, you would say, you know, with my bird's eye view of the map, I can see that this would be a bad idea. So I'm not going to give that order. Rosecrans didn't have that ability. He didn't have a drone flying up there with like a live stream. Uh, so I do love, by the way, you keep calling him Rosencrantz. <laughs> the, the, Tom, the, the Tom Stoppard character's weird afterlife uh, as a Civil War gen- general. Uh, hey, whatever works. Uh, old Rosie. Um, so yeah, the, there are these bullshit things. In this game, you could see this happening. You could see like, a bad commander saying, you know, we want you to move your troops slightly off the place that would be perfect for the overall thing. But whatever, whatever itch you have gotten, whatever, you know, made Daniel Sickles decide that he wanted to go out into the peach orchard, like even troops on, even division commanders on division, uh, on defensive stance, will say, well, obviously this is a better defensive position than I have, and they'll start moving forward like directly in the face of a massive attack. Which I mean and, Sickles was right. Like a, like in isolation it was a better defensive position. Yes. Not in the context of the two armies. He was like, I'm gonna go into a salient. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh salient salient hill though. Love it. Gonna put my guys there. Uh but yeah, like this is and this is the weird thing. Like so, sometimes I look at this and I'm like, oh, so yeah, it really is not doing it. It's not not working right. But yeah, there are those moments where it's like it's supposed to be shaky and wobbly. Like these armies are yeah. supposed to like none of these battles makes a ton of sense in terms of like if you were commanding this from the RTS perspective, you just don't get it. You just you just do not like why that like why isn't Antietam just a complete ass kick? Well, because <laughs> like mcclellan is paralyzed and none of the union corps commanders have a good sense of what the battle shape is going to be and they start like you know getting crosswise each other constantly um and if you saw it happening in a game you'd be like this ai sucks yeah (laughs) that's the civil war but but the problem is the the ai does kind of suck yeah that's well, and that's kind of like to start winding this down a little bit. Uh, in terms of where I'm at, Rowan, with this game, for me, this is like a beloved toy. I think in a lot of ways, right now, like for for if you if you are in the oh, store, it's this a, is our Stellaris, Rob. This is our busy box. Yeah, this is our Stellaris. We're just little babies, just like bopping orders of battle into place and like turning like old rotary phone dials on our civil war game and like watching those spin and turn around and like there are parts of it that are so inspired that are so incredible 
and Rowan, I, I, like, I can sort of see, like, why you're investing time into it and, like, writing these, like, missives to the developers being like, I think here's what you got to do. Because there's parts of it where I'm like, this is so close. This is so close to being, like, not just a not just a, a, a great Civil War game. Because I think even all these reservations, it might still kind of be a great Civil War game, just with a lot of caveats. Like, it's, a, it's an incredible object. Uh, but if you saw some of these issues sorted out, you might also be dealing with one of the best, like one of the most exciting ways to take the ideas of like a total war game and paradox games and sort of weave them together and sort of carry them on. Like, I think they do like the thing, the thing for me that I'm really, well, there's two things really over with, with total war. I already wrote about one of them, which is fuck the sieges done like the entire like the way the the structure of the game especially warhammer is just a attritional grind fest of sieges the hell with that uh we need to get into the 19th century with total war we need to go back we need to go back but but the uh, but the other thing is uh the whole like oh every battle is just the two armies line up on opposite sides of a, a small table and they go at each other like what's missing is where's the interesting like the sense of like scale of like the armies getting unwieldy as they grow in size and where's yeah. the sense of hey where's this battle even happening what's it going to look like uh the battles here have interesting shapes in a way that like they just don't and can't in a total war game and i think you and i especially like you know coming from sort of military history background and and wanting to see things that look this way like cool battles have cool shapes gettysburg has a cool shape the entire like first day of like what's going on the the tendrils of the army sort of like battering back and forth as they get more and more intertwined all that is really cool this game has that stuff it's just too often right at the verge of being like wow it's, it's really putting together a dynamic battle that has like the feel of a great civil war battle you will also have boy the confederates sure did march all their troops into a kill zone and just like get rocked and didn't yeah. do anything else. And now, yeah, these, these two to one, three to one kill ratios, casualty ratios that just never happened in the civil war happen so much here. If they happened, it was late in the war when the union was attacking like really entrenched Confederates, like oh, by the uh, way, first few battles of Petersburg, like these are, Okay, so that's the other thing. This game tries to get at the field works thing. And yeah. It seems fucked up to me. Like I can't it's, make the field works work good. Oh yeah, the the interface is very weird. You have to like right click to start the thing, right click again to end it, and then it'll like give you another one. So like you 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 like built one bone and then it gives you the start of the second bone. And then you left click and that will get those field works completed. That said, don't play this game with field works. You will do, you will just destroy the enemy. Like, um, like there is, I, I am playing with several house rules. One, you know, put the, put the generals in the ways that they actually would have been promoted. Don't try and go and get Grant up there, Sherman up there immediately, unless they seem to deserve it. Two, every battle is a meeting engagement. I don't care if I'm supposed to be defending. 
uh, you know, a not every Civil War general would do this, especially as the war went on. But like at a certain level, they all wanted to play Napoleon. Right. Lee especially like wanted to be Hannibal. He wanted to destroy the Roman army and then march on the capital and uh, have him be declared the greatest military genius of all time. Um, very close, Robert. Very close, but uh, missing a few pieces there. Um, anyway, like, yeah, they, they all wanted to be doing these wars of maneuver that would, if they had just sat still, maybe things would have been great, built those parapets. But, you know, if I build those, uh, I got to the point in my uh, big Confederate campaign where um, I finally said, okay, I'm going to invade the Union, see what happens. Uh, Put together like a campaign that got me onto the Gettysburg map in southern Pennsylvania. Uh, I had two cores, only two cores left with enough readiness to actually be fighting. So I had about 40,000 men. They countered me with about 80,000 men. So I was like, all right, I'm going to just build a little fort here. See what happens. Fully upgraded like Lee. Lee is an engineer, which in this game gives you more points for building the breastworks and parapets. Um, so I upgraded it. There are like four layers if you just keep keep right. Oh, this is this is Buford's nightmare and get in the movie Gettysburg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like right clicking and like all of a sudden, okay, now there are caltrops. Now there are, you know, uh pits in front of these things. So I have Yule and I think Daniel Hill are my core commanders. Yule is sitting there, Daniel Hill is gonna come up and reinforce it. Uh the Union commanders that show up are like Burnside and Fremont um complete idiots and they're just like walking directly into this yule's army happens to be the one that when i like just press the upgrade they get all the best guns first so they're armed with sharps rifles firing nine bullets per minute where like every other gun in the game fires three bullets per minute um so i'm just sitting there with this little fortification taking out a union army twice as big as me it's like probably three times as big as Ewell's core before Hill fully shows up. And I'm just like massacring. It's like, I think the battle ends up like 12,000 casualties to 3000 casualties. Um, And it's like, this is the point where I was like, okay, this is kind of boring, but also at this point in the war, like when you get to Spotsylvania, when you get into Cold Harbor and then the direct assaults on Petersburg, it did not matter what the union industrial advantage was when they were actually making those attempts like you look at you look at the scoreboard of those things to put it in a uh, very very disgusting and vulgar way uh the confederates still did like five to three casualties um yeah you know two to one casualties cold harbor i believe was like four to one um so these defensive positions are super duper powerful and if you're using them to exploit the ai uh it's very easy to exploit them in that case i didn't feel too badly because like yeah fremont and burnside would do that like but then is the ai going to get rid of those guys for being complete idiots and promote people who might actually realize if you march up the road here and turn the flank all of a sudden there's a completely different battle um so yeah, that this is one of those things where it's like your stories where the the exploitation manages to fit what the what the narrative should be, 
but also it's still kind of the exploitation. Yeah. And if I kept doing it, then I would feel really bad. I think this is why I end up keep restarting campaigns. Cause like I enjoy these early opening moves and I enjoy forming my armies and like seeing who's going to distinguish themselves early in the war, like as we go on, but it doesn't take too long before like the momentum has just become unstoppable where it's like, yep, time to just well, bag another enemy army. So the, the best campaign I've played, I started in spring of 62 as the CSA. Um, and like my motivations for this were that, you know, the Union Industrial Advantage had given me all those uh, really great guns and I was just melting armies, even though I shouldn't. Uh, so I didn't want to play as the Union with that advantage. I wanted to see what it was like to play as the Confederacy where you have to get the guns by winning the battles. And the Confederacy did win the battles, so they got the guns. Um, and I wanted it to be in the spring of 62 because a the union in summer of 61 just never attacks they don't pull a bull run they just sit there it's very frustrating i i've started like four different campaigns on four different difficulty levels and could not get them to to actually move forward um and the second thing was i wanted like the actual commanders of the actual battles to so uh instead of you know robert yeah. patterson and timothy andrews or whoever uh these these random union regular generals who had no place left in the army when the civil war started i would have grant and how this game will let you put winfield uh winfield scott on a horse and be like get out there no that's not happening uh yeah i'm they definitely need to do something about the way the union commanders are organized because like you can just have the entire game be the entire war be run by people who were out of the army by fall 61 yeah um but anyway uh yeah i wanted albert Sidney johnston and grant going up against one another i wanted you know joe johnston and mcclellan instead of uh Irvin mcdowell running everything forever um so this actually worked really well like just about everything i put it on the mediocre dif- difficulty instead of the hard mode confederates you know i have to pick and choose my battles for when i have close enough to a manpower advantage or know that my army is in good enough shape. Um, the Western commanders are significantly worse. So I have to adjust for that, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and strategically it just ended up like I beat Grant, pushed the union out of Tennessee, retook Nashville. And then like, it was basically, uh, McClellan like took a half step forward and then immediately pulled all his troops back up to DC. Um, so at the strategic level, it was basically that uh, all the states were defaulted to what they were. Um, the Union was in Kentucky. I was in Tennessee. The Union was in Maryland. I was in Virginia. Uh, so I was not getting a lot of battles on like some of the deeper battlefields. I didn't get a ton of battles in at Gettysburg. I don't think I've ever seen the Atlanta battlefield or the Jacksonville battlefield. Uh or the uh, Champion Hill by Vicksburg. Um, But like lots of battles at Shiloh, lots of battles at Stones River, lots of the random maps that uh, pop up at Kentucky, a few battles of Perryville, uh, lots of battles at Fredericksburg and Chancellorsville. um, And like, yeah, I was having really fun battles. The war was not really doing anything. And eventually the Confederacy was just going to win by uh, winning more battles than the Union was without the Union actually taking any land. But 
I was getting like interesting tactical considerations. This was this was the the thing that I actually wanted to do. Slowly, yeah. like watching AP Hill uh, rocket up the ranks, seeing Patrick Claiborne finally get a core command that he didn't get because he thought that the black people could help defend the South, and the South did not want to listen to the idea that black people might be helpful at anything other than slave labor. Uh, but yeah, so he. Uh, I did not have those political considerations. So I was like, this guy is clearly the next core commander of the army of Tennessee. Um, There's a lot of weird guys in that Confederate order of battle. Uh, weird, guy, yeah. weird guys everywhere. But yeah, like when, when we both, when we both had the realization that like PGT Beauregard, what are you doing there? Yeah. I, I went and read his Wikipedia and like, this dude was just like all over the map. He was like, had black slave friends and was fully in favor of emancipation after the war. Right after the war, he's like, just like, yeah, cool. Like, I'm good with this. This is this is great. And it's like, but then why? He was like one of the strongest Confederates. Like, he didn't want to accept a pardon. He was like, I want to die with the Confederacy or whatever. Like, AP Hill was the one who like literally said, I want to die with the Confederacy, and just walked into the Union lines a week before the war ended and got himself shot um but yeah uh really weird dude also like checking the wikipedia he had another like grand strategy for the war in late 1862 where like basically take troops away from lee uh save vicksburg with them save new orleans with them push push everyone out of tennessee up through kentucky take over the the midwest bring those states into the confederacy and then they could beat the union um, which is a wild, completely wild plan. But like, did anyone else have a plan? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, um, there's somebody, somebody asked me on Twitter, like, does the game have like, have an, like, has it hit the level of uh controllable jank that you'd recommend it to someone who's like, not necessarily a Civil War buff, but like just wants a good like novel strategy game. And I had to be like, nope, nope, no, <laughs> no. You like, yeah, here. So this two hours of podcasts, which is basically like, let's remember some guys, uh, Civil War <laughs> edition. Like that's where you have to be. Like you, you have to always like, you have to on some level always be thinking about like, man, can you imagine if Abe gotten like Grant and overall command, like, in 1860 that'd be interesting right could grant have done anything different or does he need to be seasoned in those ways hey could mcclellan what if, like what if the weather at shiloh had been like better the day before so buell doesn't even show up so the confederates aren't starving yeah it's like this one is one day a, one day this is a game for that yeah but it is also a game where like right at the most critical moment you're like man this is incredible i've never seen a civil war game like this it will completely unravel like the entire yes. like the scenery will fall down uh the like you'll notice the extras are all wearing like casio watches and shit and like checking <laughs> smartphones and uh you know you you realize that like the imposter you've got playing the part of robert e lee uh it like has zero idea what is going on um and doesn't remember his lines at all 
and <laughs> the camera just keeps rolling and now it's like what are, like what what are we seeing here it's not it's not civil war but it is just watching the system kind of collapse uh but if you're willing to like yeah. roll with that and i am unfortunately <laughs> it exercises an unbreakable fascination yeah and like you can go and edit things you can go and edit text files that alter things with the scenarios you can there's a like a modding suite that you can download a bunch of excel files i think they have to actually be done in excel you can't just like google doc them so i haven't gone into the like hard modding part but like this is probably the level i'm going to get to my google doc thing to yeah in terms of you know let's remember some guys let's let's number some units uh the union does not have any kind of like coherent a brigade naming system when you recruit a new brigade. So I just started giving them numbers according to the state. So I made a list of the states in a Google Doc. So I took the, that list of states and every time I get a new brigade, I'm like, you're the second Tennessee. Yes, I know it was regiments and not brigades. I don't care. You're the second Tennessee. And if that brigade like shows up really well, uh, if their commander does good stuff, if they start gaining experience, cool. Now you're... Uh, Pope's second Tennessee. And uh we're gonna remember that you had you had these capabilities where uh maybe even give you some shiny new uniforms. Um yeah, I'm I am willing to go that deep into a civil war game, even if the civil war game does not necessarily want to remember me, especially on the especially on the union side. But I did have a ton of fun with that southern campaign. Yeah. Um, it's like and here's the weird thing i think like you already know like you know if this game is for you you know yeah it. you know it you've heard you've you've heard enough you you either know that like you understand how how jank this thing is going to be you just don't care or you understand that like it just doesn't sound like it works as a strategy game at all both things are true like it like absolutely but but i do feel like we there's not a totally unreasonable hope that like this thing might be passable in terms of its overall campaign structure if the developer can just keep pushing time into updates and changes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they, like I said, they've said that AI is the main number one thing that they're working on. There's some other things. They also said that, like, they only had a couple more patches left before they were going to expansions. Uh, I don't think this has been a huge hit. I do think there are, there is room for expansions. Hi, Percy. Thank you for knocking things over. I was like, oh, that's got to be Percy, right? Yeah. Yep. Here he comes. Um, yeah, and there's like room for expansions. You could like put, yeah. you know, regimental commanders in there. You could have garrisoned troops in ways that make more sense. I think that, no. that's one of the main things to like negate the Union advantages, force them to force them to put like a quarter of their troops in garrisons. Otherwise, yeah. Nashville will rebel, that kind of thing um yeah those possibilities exist but i do think that also means that it hasn't been like enough of a hit that they actually need to be releasing expansions for a game that is i would say functionally still in early access yeah. uh they say they came out of early access and like you played the original early access version like you couldn't even move down rivers no from, it was, it you, was mess yeah you were just like no this game is not it and right. like three years later i that's why i came to you and was like rob yeah. this game is becoming it 
So uh, hopefully at some point it will be fully it. Uh, and it'll yeah. be living in the sewers and killing all them kids. Uh, that will do it for <laughs> will do it for this week. Uh, fingers crossed that uh, this game gets where where it can where where it might be able to go. We'll do we'll do yearly check ins of this like Total Warhammer. Yeah, is this it? Is this it? <laughs> uh, well, unfortunately, we we have to go back. We have to check out their Seven Years War game, which I can only oh. imagine is in a way worse condition because like it's the first of these and is not like does not seem to be an active going concern but i do love me my frederick the great so <laughs> what are you gonna do if, and if they come out with a napoleon game of oh this, my god like, this was the thing that, like this is the thing yeah. the heart wa- wants what it wants i will yes. take a trilogy of jank ass like nerd core uh like strategy games <laughs> about napoleonic style uh linear 19th century uh 18th century warfare don't care it's all good uh, but that will do it for today's show. This episode was produced by Liana Hafer, who was ahead as host in the Alphams Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. Uh, this month, our $5 backers will hear me and Troy going ashore on the beaches of Normandy with The Longest Day and Saving Private Ryan, two very different modes of war movie. Uh, check it all out at patreon.com slash 3MA. We'll be back soon with another episode of We'll be back soon with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Mina is now timing her barks to make it impossible for me to think as I try to read this. Until that Mina, next- like, she's gone from like 75 minutes of patience to two hours. This is pretty impressive. Oh, yeah, this is huge growth. This is huge growth for Mina. Well done. Uh, Until that next episode, uh, this is Rob Zachney for Rowan Kaiser saying good night. And okay, I will now play with Mina. (laughs) Good luck, Mina. Have fun.